You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. So there's only three weeks left in our Gateway Extended Summer. I only have so much power. And uh, I spent the month of June teaching about the Holy Spirit, who He is, what He does, how can we be filled with the Spirit. In July, I transitioned to how the Holy Spirit then interacts with the body of Christ. We, We talked a lot about the body of Christ, and then specifically out of the seven gifts Paul lists in Romans chapter 12, gifts that each of us, if, you're, if you are a follower of Christ, that, that he gives us a gift. This is a gift we carry. And you know what? I mean, preachers and teachers, we like to make these things nice little categories, and they're, they're not. I mean, like, you know, I don't have this one gift, and then the rest of them I don't touch or no part of, right? But there is a central core thing that kind of moves us. And then we, we talked about that uh, in the month of July. Now, the month of August... I'm going to spend time around 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. And in those three chapters, Paul goes on and talks about another set of gifts. So Romans 12, we can identify them as pinpointed gifts because um, I might have one of these gifts, but I don't necessarily have the others. And the gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12, these are gifts that are available to the entire body and God gives them at will to whomever he chooses in whatever context he chooses. Okay? So, so I might operate in one of these nine gifts, but, but, it's, but I'm stewarding it in the moment because the Holy Spirit has gifted me in that moment for that. It's not my identity. It's more my availability in the moment to respond. All gifts are given for two primary purposes. The the best kind of alliteration sum up that I have is they're given for ministry and mission. Ministry and mission. The way I would define ministry in the context of the gifts in the body is they're given for the mutual edification of the body. They, They are to encourage and to lift up the body, to strengthen the body, to guide the body. They're always given for that purpose. So anytime they're used outside of that purpose, it's somewhat easy to recognize. And then the gifts are given for mission, that the church as a whole, how we lead more people to find this this saving relationship with Christ. Um, but before I get to kind of walking through those gifts today, I'm going to, I think it's important for us to learn a little context around the church at Corinth. The, the, there is always going to be a, um, a contextual container to the gospel. Okay? And what I mean by that, it always sits somewhere. It always sits with someone. It always sits with a particular context. And that context teaches us as much as, as the actual content. Okay, so let's get a little context for the church at Corinth. It was founded by Paul, and we can read about its founding in Acts chapter 18, 1 through 11. It says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. That was the Roman emperor at the time. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So Paul's first interaction is with the displaced, displaced Jews that are entrepreneurs. 
that had lived in Rome, but yet because of their faith in Christ and the, and the government at the time wanting to displace all of that and all of its influence out of Rome, they ended up fleeing just for the probably their own good. It could have been they had to flee because they shut their business down. It could have been that their business was too difficult to do in there anymore, and they were looking for a different place to do business. But Paul had a trade himself. And he had this trade of, of, of leather and canvas and tents. And so he finds them in this town and he kind of connects with them. So verse 4. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now that's already an interesting thing right there. All right, so Paul starts his ministry and each city he goes to, he goes to those who already are believing in God, believes in Yahweh, that were, that were Jews. And he would go to the synagogue to try to explain the scripture to them, to show them that Christ was the Messiah, the promised Messiah out of the Old Testament. And, and it was, um, you had to have a certain number of Jews in a city to form a synagogue. This is, Corinthians believe, one of the bigger churches that Paul ends up uh, founding. And now, but it's interesting, Jews are worshiping alongside Greeks. There are Greeks there that would be called God-fearers. So they knew there was something about this Yahweh, and they were forming, it's just odd, really. It's just really odd that these Greeks would be with these Jews in a synagogue, and this is where Paul starts uh, this church. So, So when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest to them. This was a, it was a cultural symbol. He says, your blood be on your own hands. I'm innocent. I shake, I shake myself from you. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue. And I love this. He went next door. <laughs> See ya, right? And goes next door. Goes right next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. And then this one's fascinating. Crispus, the synagogue leader. So it seems as if the synagogue leader was Greek. And when the body of that synagogue was not receiving this message of Christ the Messiah, the synagogue leader says, see ya, (laughs) and goes next door for this church. So, uh, and the entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in the city. Paul caused such disruption. The church is, even a small, this is fascinating, Corinth is like the fifth largest city in the Greek Roman Empire. And this little church of 50 people was causing so much disruption. And I don't mean bad disruption. I mean, they're starting to change how they do things, how they respond to one another, how they interact at work, how they interact in government. And, and, and Paul gets singled out, and he's going to be chased out of Corinth like he's been chased out of other cities, except in this case, he stays 18 months. He stays 18 months to get this church up and running. And I love this fact. Someone needs to take this away today. That even though they felt like a small group, the word of God to Paul was, I got a lot more people around here than you think I do. You may think you're the only person who holds to faith at your workplace. And I will say to you, God has more people around you than you think you do. More people that will extend you favor than you think. 
more people that share your core convictions around Christ than you think. It might look differently, sound differently, come out differently, but there's more. There's more in your neighborhood. There may even be more in your family. But what a great word under pressure that God gives Paul. Paul, I know you're feeling the pressure of all this, but I got more people around here than you think. And it's going to be okay. So Luke is writing this, and he's not name dropping, but he rattles off these names, Priscilla, Aquila, Titius, Justice, and Crispus. He does so for a reason. He's demonstrating this, that, that this new church was diverse. That it was women and men. It was Greeks and Jews. That it wasn't just some little group around some little cult. This thing had a great deal of spread. The, um, the church consisted of rich, poor, slaves, government officials. I, 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 in my vernacular, I say it was uh, white collar, blue collar, no collar. All right? It's pretty spread out. Um, so, but after 18 months, Paul is forced to leave. And 18 months later, he writes this book. So everybody in the church at Corinth was about three years old in terms of their Christianity, about three years old, okay? This helps understand this. At three years old, I'm still playing in the Tupperware drawer in the kitchen, all right? I'm playing with the Tupperware, I'm playing pots and pans. The other toys that were purchased did not hold near my attention like the Tupperware and the pots and pans, right? So it's, it's three. So there's only going to be a, a, a certain amount of understanding at three. And so Paul writes this letter to coach this first generation three-year-old Christians through what it was like, what is it like now to be a part of a body? What is it like to be a part of a church? In essence, Corinthians uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14 is much more about how we do life together spiritually than it is about what the gifts are, okay? So he writes this letter because there's five different things they're really messing up. They're really blowing five major things. And by the time we get to 1 Corinthians 12, he's dealing with the things around the gifts and how they are not using those effectively, all right? And so he opens this letter like a good dad would. Okay, or a good mom would. He's opening the letter in a very encouraging fashion, okay, because he's about to do all the correction. Parents, you know this, right? You got to make deposits before you make withdrawals. The more deposits you can make, the more withdrawals you can make. And then when, when you make these deposits, the withdrawals are more about the behavior and not about the person. Now, we're going we're to teach on seeds and family next month, but I think someone needs to write that one down. When you make more deposits than withdrawals, the withdrawals then are about the behavior and not about who they are as your son or daughter. All right, that one's free. Here's 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 9. Paul says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our Lord. Verse 7 is pretty telling. 
You don't lack any spiritual gift. The Holy Spirit had completely gifted this body for ministry and for mission. Uh, A lack of spiritual power and a spiritual fervor was not the issue at Corinth. Okay? It was all about their maturity. It was all about knowing what to do with what God had given them. All right? So here's the first teachable moment today. Spiritual gifts are given for the mutual edification of the body and for mission, missional effectiveness. Spiritual gifts are given for the mutual edification of the body, which is what I'll call ministry throughout the text of this sermon, right? Because we minister one to, one to another, all right? Remember, we borrow faith, we lend faith. So all spiritual gifts are given for the mutual edification of the body and for its missional effectiveness. And Corinth were misusing the gifts, And so as a result of misusing the gifts, that means that they they were not operating in the capacity they could have in the ministry to one another and the missional effectiveness God called and planted that church in Corinth. All right? So that's the context. So here is now the the text, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 uh, 1 through 11. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. NIV makes it a prettier word. Other versions say I don't want you to be ignorant. All right? Now, that's not a bad term, but it just sounds better uninformed, right? I don't want you to be uninformed. You know, what, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or another, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So what Paul's doing is he's resetting the legitimacy of the gifts that were operating in the body. Now, why would he need to do that? It's because in the cults and in the temple worship there in that city, there would have been other gifts, in air quotes here, that would have sounded and looked like the gifts the Holy Spirit was giving to this body. Okay? And so they were used to hearing and seeing some of this stuff in a context that was contrary to Christ. And so how do you differentiate well, is this, is this something over here or is this something dedicated to Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit? And what he's doing is he's giving them this litmus test, if you will, right? So that when, when the Spirit speaks and moves in a corporate worship setting or in a small group or otherwise, that when, when people are speaking about Christ in the man of the Bible would, when they're encouraging the body, these are gifts in which the Holy Spirit are given, But when something is contrary to the word of God or contrary to the building up and the edification of the church, now these things are counterfeit. These things have been perverted. And so this shouldn't be a surprise. This This is life in general. God creates, Satan perverts, Jesus redeems, right? This is the context of our world. God, everything beautiful, God creates. And everything God created beautiful, Satan has a way to pervert it, right? And he perverts it, and he takes away the good and leaves us with the perversion, right? He, over-pro- he uh, overpromises and underdelivers every single time. Sin always overpromises and underdelivers, okay? But then God doesn't go, oh, well, I can't do that anymore. So what can I do in place of that? No, then Christ comes and he redeems it. All right, and so he's giving them at the very front end, hey, this stuff's good and it's good for the body, but let's ensure, and let me give you this litmus test of what is for me and what is not for me, all right? So again, in summary, how do we know if the gift exercised is from God? 
My answer is, who does the gift reflect? All right, so my teachable moment here is the gift as given reveals its given source. The gift as given reveals the given source. Because when the gifts operate publicly in the body, it catches most people off guard. I'll explain that here in a little bit. So how do you know if this is something someone's just doing themselves or it's from God? The gift as given reveals the given source. So he goes on. He says there are different kind of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. All right? So, three different times, the Holy Spirit is talking about these gifts, and he says they're different. Three different differences. But then there's three different sames as its origin. And interesting enough, right, we have, we have originating from God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit. That's the parallel he gives. All right, so here's my teachable moment around this point. The Holy Spirit's activity is broad, yet centrally sourced and operationally unified. The Holy Spirit's activity is broad, different kinds of gifts, different kinds of workings, different, it's broad. But they're essentially sourced by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Okay? So they're broad, sourced, and they're unified because they, they all serve the same purpose, to bring about common good. Now, isn't it interesting? He has yet to mention a gift. Because he tells them on the front end, you don't like any spiritual gift. They knew what the gifts were. They've seen the gifts operate. Now, we're starting at a little bit of a disadvantage because maybe you've never been taught anything about the gifts of the Spirit. But I will still contend that this is the right posture to get to it because the issue Paul had with them was not the gift operation. It was just how they were doing it. You with me? Some of you are. So this is what he's leading into. So here we go on to the gifts. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them each to each one just as he determines. Nine gifts that operate in the gathering of whenever I believe, whenever believers are gathered together, all nine of these can be in operation. The spirit gives them as he wills to whomever he wills in whatever moment he wills. So let's look just briefly at these nine, because there's not real depth of, he doesn't go into any kind of depth here. Message of wisdom, I'd say that wisdom in this case is supernatural insider understanding, which you would think of wisdom, right? That, that someone in a gathering, that the spirit may give a message of wisdom, something that was, 
uh, supernaturally relevatory, an insight that would not be seen otherwise in the context. Then he talks about the message of knowledge. Now, this isn't just a generic piece of information. This is a specific revelation in the moment that, that someone would not have known. Okay? Then he goes to faith as a spiritual gift. So faith being a spiritual gift here is different than the faith that's necessary for salvation. There's a faith necessary for salvation. We sang all about the cross today and the Christ. Okay? And so it takes, it takes a measure of faith to, 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 um, to receive that he did that for you. But now when we get to this special gift of faith, it is something that is in addition to, it's, it's an extension an expansion of that faith, of believing and standing in, in, in the middle or a gap of something where, where there may be some fear or trepidation of whether or not the body should do this or not do this or someone should do this or not do this. And then someone that has this gets this supernatural um, uh, infilling at this moment of faith and is able to speak something forward. All right, healing. The gift of healing, it's demonstrated by someone then feeling, the, the, again, the Holy Spirit um, pulling them forward to possibly put a hand on someone and pray for them or to pray for a healing of somebody. Okay, this is a spiritual gift of the moment. So, so anyone says, well, I have the gift of healing. Not how I understand this, right? How I understand this, that there are times uh, where each of us as a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit can move on us in order to stand in the gap for someone and to pray for them and God then can heal them. Has anybody been healed in the room? You know that you have been supernaturally healed of something in the room. Raise your hand. All right. Just, just so you know that I'm not speaking stupid stuff here today, okay? That if this is new, just the reason why I think we're all quiet is, is everybody's afraid of what I'm going to do next. But I'm telling you. Now, uh, the, the, in most cases, this is going to be new. Who, indulge me. And this is not speaking about you in any regards, but... This kind of teaching around the gifts is brand new to you. Raise your hand. Brand new to you. Anybody? Right? Brand new to you. All right. Th- those people did this. You shouldn't. You don't need to. Okay? You don't need to. I'll tell you why in a minute. All right. We got miraculous powers. This one's a little head scratchy for me as I'm doing it. Um, connected to the gift of faith or healing. I, I, don't, I don't know what a miraculous power. I would say it would be something other than healing. I, I don't know what that one, you know, could look like in the moment. Then we have the gift of prophecy, the spiritual gift of prophecy. Now, that was a gift listed actually in all three of the major sections where Paul lists gifts, Ephesians and Romans and Corinthians. All right, I, I called prophecy God's turn-by-turn instructions. All right, um, prophecy is going to be an encouraging um, word. It's going to be a push-forward word. It's going to give specific kind of directional word, right? It's not a predictive word. Right? It's not someone saying, well, I believe you know, Jesus is coming back in the next 25 minutes. Right? I, I, and all we'd have to do is sit around to figure out, figure out if that person was a prophet or not. Right? <laughs> right? So, so that's not, so prophecy though, um, God using you in a moment in kind of that um, degree. Then distinguishing of spirits. Um, this is not just this idea of discernment. This is the ability to recognize if something's from God or not from God. Okay? That you know, no, that's not true. That's not true, okay? So a gift given in the moment for someone to say, no, that's not from the Lord, all right? Then we get into the ones most people are really uncomfortable with. 
thus the laughter. Tongues, all right? In this, in this use, Paul is referring to what he will call in 1 Corinthians 13, an angelic language, okay? This is, this is the Holy Spirit giving a language that is unknown. It's unknown, and it's given to them uh, in the moment in, in worship. Now, in this context, tongues is listed as a gift to the body. Paul will also refer to, which I'll talk about next week, um, refers to it as something that is also very personal, right? I can have, I can have a, um, he could, uh, well, when the Holy Spirit is given in Acts, in all but one instance, we read that that encounter is followed by a speaking in an unknown language. Now, Acts 2 begins with them speaking known languages that they don't know, okay? They're speaking a language that's known, but they don't know it, and they're speaking. That was, that was one particular manifestation, but in each of the other ones, it seems to be more, it's, it's, it's an ecstatic speech that nobody knows. And, and I'll, I'll teach you on this, on how that is a special communication to the Father. All right, but this one is a gift given for the body, and thus it leads us to the ninth one, the interpretation of tongues. All right, an interpretation of tongues isn't a word-for-word translation. Okay? It, it's not like, well, that person, you know, growing up, I experienced this in churches, and um, it's not that someone gave a word, a message in tongues that was 15 seconds, and then someone gave an interpretation that was two minutes. It's exaggeration. But it, it's not a word for word. It's, it's in God speaking with someone in this, in this language that no one knows, but then, then the Holy Spirit speaking in another person that, that stands up in the body or in the body, then gives the, the, um, uh, the interpretation of what just was shared. Now, I mean, when that happens, this kind of, I got the kind of this double play of the spirit, right? I mean, it's like, whoa, he's moving. Yes, he really is, right? Um, and so, so this is a, this is a, these are powerful, and they're even spoken this way. These are power gifts given to the body, but for what? For ministry, the mutual edification of the church, and for the missional effectiveness of the church. That's why these things are given. Um, all right, so here's a quick review. Spiritual gifts are given for the mutual edification of the body and its missional effectiveness. The gift as given reveals its given source. The Holy Spirit's activity is broad yet centrally sourced and operationally unified. All right, so what did Paul, when he says, I don't want you to be uninformed about gifts, what was he referring to? He was referring to bring them back, but this is the purpose these are given. This is what he's reminding them of. This is the purpose these are given because the Corinthian church were not using them for that purpose. And any given moment in the Corinthian church, it would have been like being at a rodeo or something. There had been people that were standing up and giving this word over here and a tongue over there and this over here and praying for this person over here. And there was this, it was just chaotic. And in, and in the course of that chaos, there was no ministry being done to the body. And their missional effectiveness was zilch. Because anybody that was trying to discover if Christ is real walked into that. It's like, I ain't going back there. Right? Now, look, I grew up with the fear of inviting people to church. Because I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and I never quite knew what was going to happen. Right? And there was this inherent, anybody else? So I'm not the only one up here? All right. So, so there's this inherent, golly God, if you show up, 
Well, isn't it funny? God, if you show up, people are leaving. <laughs> so it'd be much better, God, if you didn't show up at church today. Right? So it's, it's, it's kind of fascinating. So I hired, um, off, off topic, sort of, but I hired a, an administrative assistant when I was in Atlanta that um, attended the Methodist church down the street. And she worked with my wife. And, I, you know, I'm Methodist, Lutheran, I don't care, um, don't, can't spell Jesus. And if you're a good worker, I want you on my team. You know what I'm saying? And so I hired her. And the first service she ever came to, there was a message in tongues in her body. And then someone gave an interpretation. Boy, my phone was ringing as soon as I got home. Okay, who gets to do that? Right? And there's this whole litany of questions, right? Because it's like, oh, God, I really wish you wouldn't you know, demonstrate your, your power like that. But, but I... That when, when, the, when we will operate in order, when we will understand these gifts are given for a purpose, they're not for me. In fact, in this, in this sense, that gift is given for the body. So when I will operate in obedience for a gift for the body, the body wins. Mission wins. Before you came to Christ, did you want just to find somebody to serve or did you want to find someone powerful to hitch your wagon to? I want someone powerful to hitch my wagon to. Paul does a lot of talking, Psalms does a lot of talking about idols that have to be carved. I don't want to worship something like that. I don't need an idea to worship. I don't need another ideology to worship. I need a real living God who demonstrates that he is living and breathing and cares about me. That's the kind of God I want to worship. And the gifts are given in order to bring that stuff up to the surface. But how we handle the gifts is extremely important. I told you before that if you're one degree off the tee box playing golf, in my case, I'm 50 yards off the fairway, 250 yards down the, down the hole. Right? So how they operate become a very significant thing. But I believe the more spiritually functional we allow our small groups and our worship gatherings to be, the more spiritually functional our lives will be. Now, one key Paul teaches here is that humility is integral to spiritual maturity. Humility is integral to spiritual maturity. Humility always makes room for coaching. Experience has taught me that the people who feel the most spiritual have been the least coachable. So to be coachable, coachable, you have to have a desire for more. In order to have a desire for more, you have to believe there's more out there. All right? Spiritually satisfied is spiritually stuck. I can't tell you how many times I've read the Bible cover to cover. And I'm in, I'm, I, so I can't tell you which time I'm in now. But I finished the New Testament in 40 days on my sabbatical. And then I went, wow, I liked that. And I did it 40 more days, consecutive days, through the New Testament. And then I was about 20 days through it again. And I went, well, maybe I should try the Old Testament. I was afraid of that because it was so long. I did the math, and it broke out to about 140 days if I was doing in the same clip of reading. And I'm on day like 90 of the Old Testament now. And I can tell you, man, it has been, I mean, it sounds strange for your pastor to stand up here and say this, but it's been life-changing again. 
to not read a verse of the day and not watch some clip of the verse of the day, not try to read a chapter in the Psalms and a chapter of Proverbs and a chapter in the New Testament. We've done that as a church to read through again. But to, to sit in one place for 25 minutes, it's been, it's been changing. See, if I was satisfied with my understanding of Scripture, that's going to actually impact you, isn't it? It's going to impact me. And because of my role, it's going to impact you. So someone who's coachable has a desire for more and believes there's more out there. And to acknowledge that there's more out there, you have to be settled in who you are at the moment. Now, this is going to sound strange, so let me unpack this. This is important to me. In order for you to be coachable, you have to want more. In order to want more, you've got to believe there's more. And then you have to be settled in who you are. And here's what I mean. When you're defensive in any situation, you are not a learner. Okay? Because when you're defensive in any situation, especially spiritually, you're spending all of your energy defending who you are and where you are instead of moving forward. So this is a good thing to recognize in all of your lives. Wherever you're defensive right now, you're stuck. If you're defensive in your marriage to your spouse, you're stuck. If you're defensive at work when someone's trying to help you move forward, you're stuck. If you can't be coached spiritually in any context, listen, it doesn't matter if someone's a baby believer or a 50-year believer or whatever. We learn from both sides of this thing, okay? All right, and so in order then to, 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 to open our lives more to the move of God and the Holy Spirit and the operation of the gifts, we have to remain humble that there's more for us to learn. I do something called the Alpha Course. I've done this for Gosh, it probably is close to two decades now. And uh, it's a basic introduction to the Christian faith. Um, we'll be doing it again in September. Uh, if you, I encourage you, uh, if you have not done anything like this, um, uh, who is Jesus? Why did he die? How can I be sure of my faith? Why and how should I read the Bible? Why and how should I pray? Who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? I mean, it's a great foundational course. Brad and Tracy Edmondson, I lead that. But the founder, Nikki Gumbel, tells a story of being at staff meeting at Holy Trinity Bromden Church. It was an Anglican church in London. And it was a very large, influential church. And he had gone to school to be a barrister, okay, an attorney. So he was attorney by trade, feels called to ministry, starts on staff there before any kind of seminary work or whatsoever. And at one particular staff meeting, he was charged with giving a devotion. And he gave the devotion. Now, the head vicar at the time, who had been in ministry for 50-some years, who had had a string of, 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 of degrees, after Nikki finished the devotional, the vicar said, hmm, Nikki, that's really interesting. I don't believe I quite have ever heard that perspective before. So Nikki went away going, I'm pretty good at this, <laughs> right? I'm a rookie, and I'm already teaching stuff that the vicar has not ever considered. Until another staff person got him and said, Nikki, think about it. If the vicar hadn't heard your perspective, you might not have the right perspective, right, on that passage, right? And so, so it's always important to me that, that we're always in a posture of humility and a desire to learn and to grow. Um, the reason why I've spent three months on the person of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit is so that we would have more effectiveness of how we minister to one another and that we would have more effectiveness 
in the mission God's called us to. We are a very diverse group congregationally. You might not be aware of that. Let me point some things out. We're comprised of people with a very diverse religious and non-religious background and experiences. And I really, really like that. I really like that there's many times I have to define things so that we understand we're coming from the same perspective. I love the fact that people walk in and out of this room every single Sunday trying to figure out, is Christianity real? Is Christ real? And listen, you know what else they're looking for? Are these people real? That's kind of the first litmus test for them. We are made up of different geographic, economic backgrounds, and current vocations. We are white collar, blue collar, no collar. All right? We are retired. We are people at the pinnacle of their careers. And we're at people that are just beginning their careers. Just trying to figure it out. We're married. We're single. We're divorced. We have widows. Widowers. We're made up of different generations. Someone two weeks ago told me that they were really encouraged that they saw people with gray hair here. And I was like, I'm I'm glad I could check that box for you. And we're made up of different racial backgrounds. I believe the more diverse we are, the more of the nature of God we will understand. In Revelation 5, it says that there's every nation, tongue, and language is represented around the throne. Which means then there is something about the worship of every nation, tribe, and language that God said, this would not be complete without you. Which tells me then, the more nations, tribes, and languages that I can be around, that can be a part of our body, then there will be that much more understanding of who God, the God is that we worship. Right? And then the more diverse we are from our backgrounds to our ages to our vocations places us in more diverse arenas of ministry. It puts us in areas where God can say to Paul, I got more people around this city than you think. Right? Diversity in that regard is good. Now listen, I wrote this out too. Our desire for a growing diversity is broader than a narrowly defined cultural fixation. We desire to mature in our understanding of God and to become more effective, a more effective missional cultural force. Right? There's a purpose for all this diversity. Not just so that we can say we are diverse to check some box. God has a purpose for all of that diversity. And I believe we're probably equally diverse of people who have had experience with gifts and the Holy Spirit and people who have never been taught or understood this. If you have come from any kind of mainline religious background, you have probably been taught something that's labeled the cessation of the gifts. Okay? So here's how the, here's how the thinking goes. That it was necessary for the gifts and the Spirit in the launch of the early church. But once the Bible became what's called canonized, meaning that, that what was, there was a, I believe it was Council of Trent that put together that here are the, 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 the Holy Spirit-inspired books and letters, and we're going to put it together, and then that becomes our Bible. All right, and so I believe, we believe as a church, that the Holy Spirit moved along every writer by the Holy Spirit, 
And so if I believe that, that these are God's words penned by men, then I also can believe in the process. Now, why? Because everything necessary for salvation is included in this book. I get the whole story of God in this book. It's interesting, though. It's 66 books. It's written by 40 different authors from kings on down. The writing from start to finish covers about 1,400 years. That covers about 4,000 years of history. And it's one book and it's one story. It tells us about that we have sinned. It tells us that we're separated from God with our sin. It tells me that Christ came to die for my sin. It tells me that he rose again for my life. It tells me that heaven is my future and that there's going to be a new heaven and earth and that we in a resurrected body will reign with him for eternity. And that story is told from Genesis through Revelation. There's, there's nowhere that's missing. So I can believe, but what I also can't believe that, I can believe that, but I also what I can't believe is that when this was finished, that God said, here's the book, figure it out for yourself. Right? Said all I'm going to say. I'll do all I'm going to do. You make sure you know this, and you ought to be fine. Here's the fact. I told you how many times I read it, and every time I read it, I go, what, is it, what are you talking about there? What do you mean there? What is that about? And I mean, I've got more books to study it than most of you have. And I still have to dig into them all the time. And then there are special times. I believe in all study where God would say, this is what I'm saying right now. This is what I want you to preach right now. This is where I want you to stop in the message right now. All of that is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit wanting us to be whole and having a whole person puts me in a better position missionally to the people around me and to have a body that cares for one another and prays for one another and stands in the gap for one another this is also one of the most attractional things that we see in the Gospels. From Acts chapter 2 on down is people drawn, not, they're not drawn to a gift. They're drawn because of an individual that is gifted, that's demonstrating the love and the power of the Father. Come on up team, I'll, I'll, I gotta quit. So as I see it, here's the challenge. I don't believe the challenge is to believe that the Holy Spirit still operates today. If, if you believe that, um, or if you don't believe that, I'd love to have the opportunity, and others would, just to, to just chat and hear your background on that. I'm not mad at you if you don't believe the way I do there. I just would like to have the opportunity to unpack that with you. But as I see our challenge as a body is not to believe that this Holy Spirit still operates today. And... I don't believe the challenge is to believe that he gifts the church for ministry and mission. Here's the challenge that I believe we have. Our challenge is to respond to his, his gift offer. That's, that's our challenge. Responding to his gift and then maturing in those gifts. Those become the challenges. Will we be open to the gifts of the Spirit? 
in the Romans 12 gift, will we serve the body? Will we serve the body in our gifts out of Romans 12? Will we do that? Because that's an opportunity. Will we do that? Second, will we, will we be open to how the Holy Spirit wants to operate in a worship gathering, in a small group gathering, the ladies' night of worship, in an alpha class? See, in here, this context may be intimidating. And I'm not suggesting that, you know, we try to revamp a worship service. I'm not trying to say, well, you know, we're going to put it on the, we have a, we have a, a set list every Sunday to make sure that when we're planning, you know, that we know that we can do what we're going to do in the time we have. I'm the only variable, it seems. <laughs> but since the history of Gateway's founding, we have always found moments in service for a pause. Sometimes it comes in worship. It always comes at the end of the message. Sometimes it comes in the middle of the sermon, but a pause. And it's not a calculated pause. It's believing the Spirit wants to do something in that moment. Sometimes that's verbal, sometimes it's not. But more on one occasion, I've stood up in here and I've said, this is what I believe the Lord wants you to hear today. And it's in that moment, I believe God's given me a specific word for the body, for someone in that time. And repeatedly, those are the times of our services that most people will say, wow, that was, I mean, just our vernacular, right? Wow, that was amazing. All right, what does that mean? It means, wow, something, something changed in me then. I, I needed that then. Have anyone ever walked into a church service and said, God, I have got to hear you today? Anybody? Right? I got to have something specific for you today. And I am amazed time and time again when God does something specific. Right? And it might not have anything to do with anything that I said today or anything we sang. But in the moment, in the course of that service, you know something changed in here. You heard something in this area. In, in, your, in your spiritual ears, you just heard something different. So how do we respond in a message like this today? I think... One is to always recognize that when we gather as a body, we gather to minister to one another. We gather to borrow faith and lend faith. The only way, or at least one of the ways in which to let somebody know that I need to borrow some of your faith is we come to the altar, right? Because it's the, it's the ultimate raise your hand, someone come pray for me. That's not anything to be embarrassed about. It's not something to look around and go, well, nobody else is up there, right? You move, you come for prayer. We'd always be remiss if we don't touch on that if you don't know Jesus, he came and died for you and you can have a relationship with him and he's done all the heavy lifting. He's the one who died. Our response is acceptance of that. You don't have to have someone to pray with you to receive Christ. You can do that because it's just, it's an acceptance in your heart of doing that. But you know what? When you have someone pray with you, it's amazing when you leave, you don't go, what was I thinking? because someone has joined their faith with you in that process. So Father, in this moment, Lord, on, on behalf of our body as, Lord, as the shepherd, Lord, we want more of you we're not looking for a show. I'm not looking for some demonstration of a gift here or there. Lord, what we want is more of you. 
I believe there's more of you that you want to give to us. And so, Father, in our response time today, that's my response. That's my global response for our body is that we want more of you. And, Lord, I know now as individuals we have to have a similar prayer for that to take place in our life. And as people come to pray over maybe nothing related to today's message, they're just in need. Father, I, I pray that you would, you would minister to us. Heal us emotionally, spiritually, physically. For those who want to respond to, to the salvation call of accepting your son as their savior. Lord, I give you thanks ahead of time. One, that they would be watching online or be in this room with us today and that they would trust you and us enough to do it in this context. And then for all of us, Lord, I pray in our own way that we would ask for more of you to be used by you in the context that you place us. Would you stand with me? We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.